Hey guys, we're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Do you guys know about business cards? Yeah. Is this something that you I feel like it's something that like is antiquated, like a Rolodex or a fax machine. I feel like business cards are... Did somebody just woo business cards? Okay, I thought somebody was cheering for fax machines, and that... They're not. You're wrong. Fax machines are bad. So bad. <laughs> we have printers. We have email. We don't need fax machines. It's not fun. <laughs> so if you don't know what a business card is, it's a little card you carry around. has like your name, your phone number, your like contact information, and maybe your business name. And it's something that you would like hand out to somebody that you wanted to like follow up with or connect with later. So like if you go, you know, like all the networking luncheons you guys go to, like if you go to um, like a place where you're meeting new clients for your business or like something like that, somebody you want to talk to again, you might hand them your business card so they know how to get a hold of you. It's like a, it's an old thing, but it works. I like a business card. Um, business cards are also called calling cards and, um, calling card might be a slang term that you're familiar with, which is why I'm making this connection. Um, the calling card is something as far as like the slang term goes, it's something that someone leaves behind so that you know that they've been there, right? My call, I left my calling card, you know, uh, your business card would be like, I left my card. So you knew I was there, but I left like a calling card isn't necessarily a card, right? It's like a an idea or a symbol that represents who I am. So let's talk about some famous fictional business card or calling cards that might help you understand. If you saw this um, playing card, who was here? Who was there if you saw this card left at maybe a crime scene? So close. The Joker. This is the Joker's calling card, literally a card in this place, but not every situation. I think these ones are going to get more difficult. If you came across an overflowing sink with a washcloth at the bottom, whose calling card is that? The, the, the Wet Bandits. That's right. I've only seen that movie one time. It's from Home Alone, correct? Yes? Seen that movie one time? Oh, the Stinky Bandits? <laughs> I heard you. <laughs> so, oh, great, great. So here's another one for you. Um, do you know this, this big red Z? Do you know who the, whose calling card that is? Anybody? Zorro, yes. That's a different thing. Sam, don't say this one. What about this one? If you came across um, the scene and uh, this set of red lips was on something, do you know this one? No, no. I don't know. Yeah, Sam can say it. Kissing K. Barlow from Holes? Shia LaBeouf's um, Holes? Nobody? Okay. So listen. Call, that's right. Calling cards, it's like a nice cultural trope. It makes for a fun story when like, the, you know, especially this criminal like leaves behind something. But it's similar in real life. We have this stuff in real life too, right? If I were to go to J&J on a Sunday afternoon and I saw a table full of people waving around a yellow washcloth in the air, what team do they support? The Steelers, right? If I looked at a different table and they were wearing cheese on their head, which team do they support? The Green Bay Packers, somebody said it. <laughs> if a guy got up from that table and to give him one of these, what's that called? The Tebow. This is, this is a few years ago that they used to do the Tebow. But Tim Tebow, when he started doing this, everybody was Tebowing everything. Um, so these are, through these symbols, these calling cards, if you will, you can tell what people are about. You can tell their, uh, their sports team. You can tell their, their thing through these symbols, through these things. So here's a question for you. 
If we can identify a, a fictional supervillain or a sports fan based on these calling cards, what is the thing that distinguishes you as a follower of Jesus? You don't have to answer it, but what's the thing that distinguishes you as a follower of Jesus? Your answer might be a cheesy t-shirt. <laughs> have you seen really bad Christian t-shirts? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have some, my grandma, with the, with the best intentions, my grandma has bought me some of these t-shirts. It may be a Bible verse in your Instagram bio. Yes, he does, you know, he does have plans to prosper you. That is true. It may be your schedule, the time you spend at church. That may be one of your signifiers. Maybe it's a, a cross necklace or a Jesus fish on your car. We all, these are all, you know, good symbols. Tonight, though, we're talking about a very specific calling card that Jesus wanted the disciples to have. He said, this is the thing, this is the way people are going to know what you're about. This is your joker card. This is your Z on the wall. This is your calling card. Tonight, we're starting a series called Play Nice. And in this series called Play Nice, we, I'm excited because we're talking about what Apex should be about. What are the things that we do? What are the things that we're known for? How do we create a healthy community at Apex? Some of you are new. Some of you have been here for many years. And so we're just talking, it's getting very meta uh, and not the Facebook kind. We're talking about Apex for the next few weeks. That is us. So tonight specifically, we're talking about Christian community. That is this, a community of Christ followers, Jesus followers. What are we about? So we hinted at some of this stuff last year. We did a series called Talking Points um, because the world was very political and you were not you were not, not involved in that. So we talked about politics for a little bit. It was very fun. Um, and we talked about a prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. So before he left, he said, God, this is what I want for my people. This is uh, John recorded this prayer in John 17. It says, I am not, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who ever believed in me through their message. So not just the disciples around me right now, the people that are following me, but anyone who will ever follow me. Jesus prayed for us in this prayer. He said, I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. John 17, 20 to 21. So there's division, anger, pain all over the world, everywhere you look. We should be different. Jesus says we should be different. Jesus wants us to be united in love and oneness. We're going to another place that Jesus talked about this stuff in John's gospel, but I'm going to borrow the same bottom line from when we preached on this scripture because the principle is the same, and I want to make that connection for us. Our oneness is our witness. Our being one, our, our hearts being binded together, our oneness is our witness. People will know that we serve a God of love because we love each other. Our oneness is our witness. So the night that Jesus prayed that prayer for his disciples and anyone who would ever follow him was the same night as the Last Supper. You might be familiar with this painting by Leonardo DiCaprio. Just kidding. Da Vinci. Da Vinci, you may have heard of him. I don't know. It's a pretty iconic painting. It's called The Last Supper. Everyone's sitting on one side of the table for some reason. Um, do you guys have dinner at your house like that? I do not. It was called The Last Supper. This is a, you know, a, a uh, the, the artist's take on what Jesus's dinner might have been like. And because this was a real event, Jesus really had a last meal with his followers. And this was the last meal before he was crucified. That's why it was called, why it has become known as the Last Supper. 
lots of cool things happened at this dinner. Jesus did a lot of cool teaching. He said a lot of cool things. This is where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. You might be familiar with that. He showed them this is what serving people looks like. He gave them an example by washing his followers' feet. This is where Jesus predicted his death and betrayal and resurrection. He said, this is all that's going to happen. And it wasn't the first time he'd, he'd you know, talked about this stuff before. The disciples did not really accept this prediction very well. Um, you know, a bunch of times Jesus told them what would happen. They still weren't ready when it happened, um, but that's disciples for you. Jesus talks here uh, it, at this dinner. He talks about the Holy Spirit, and he says, I'm going to leave, but the Holy Spirit is going to come. It's going to be amazing and better because he's going to be everywhere. It's going to be awesome forever. This is also where we get the ordinance of communion. Um, if you've ever been to church where they take communion, it traces back to the Last Supper. This is where Jesus invented the, uh, the ordinance of communion, established communion. Tonight, though, we are focusing on Jesus giving the disciples a new commandment. This night, the Last Supper actually became known for this new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples. He said to them in John 13, 34, 35, so now I am giving you a what? New commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What a similar thing to what he says four chapters later. Now, you're probably familiar with this word commandment. When mom says, take out the trash or you don't get to go to your friend's house. Or many moms are like, you know, take out the trash or you don't eat. This is how this works. Like we, we have a, a situation, a, a relationship in this household where you do some things and that's how you eat and have a, a roof over your head, right? So this is a commandment you are getting from your authority in the house. When God says, keep the Sabbath day holy, when God says, thou shalt not covet, when God says, thou shalt not bear false witness, right? These are commandments. Those are some of the big 10 you might be familiar with. Um, most of us know that you don't maybe not know every one of the 10 commandments. I think you'd probably pick them out with 20 options, but uh, most of us know them, understand them traditionally. The Old Testament has not just 10 commandments, but 613. Traditionally, the rabbis would say, the teachers would say, the Old Testament has 613 commandments, and that is a lot to keep track of. <laughs> and one of Jesus's focuses in his ministry when he was teaching, he was explaining those commandments because people had read those 613 commandments and they had got confused about them. And they started interpreting them in weird ways. And then they created way, way more commandments so that you wouldn't even come close to those 613 commandments. So they had created fences around God. And so one of Jesus's jobs was he was tearing down those fences and saying, hey, you guys are putting up obstacles that aren't from God. <laughs> These are obstacles that you're inventing to be part of an exclusive club of Pharisees. So part of Jesus's job was to clarify the commandments of the Old Testament to help them understand the Old Testament. So this new commandment is not to replace the old ones. It's to clarify them. It's a new spin on old stuff that was already in the Old Testament. So want to earn, learn some trivia? This is interesting trivia. I find it interesting. You might not. You know how Easter is always celebrated on Sunday, right? Because it's a celebration of Jesus's resurrection. So Jesus was crucified and then he comes back to life on a Sunday. Well, Sunday is when we celebrate this. And then Friday before that is called Good Friday. And that's the day we uh, remember his crucifixion, right? Yep. Sunday's resurrection. Good Friday is a the crucifixion. There's actually a name for the day before that. Does anyone know the Thursday? Do you know what you call that Thursday? Um, I'm not sure. It may be called that, but there's another name. The Thursday. Not good Thursday, no. Okay, I'm glad you don't know, because I'm going to teach you something. So it's called Maundy Thursday. I, now, I knew this. I knew it was called Maundy Thursday. 
I did not know this name. I, I, what, that, what does that word mean? I did not know, but I learned, and I'm going to tell you. So um, this is the day of the Last Supper. It was on the Thursday before the crucifixion, right? It was the night before. And it's called Maundy Thursday. It turns out the phrase in English, New Commandment, when it was translated from Greek into Latin, the word was mandatum nova. The phrase mandatum, think mandate, right? Commandment, mandate. So that phrase, new commandment in Latin is mandatum nova. Mandatum is where we get Monday. Monday, Thursday is the day we got the new commandment. Big deal. Interesting. I found interesting. I hope you do as well. So let's look at this new commandment. We're going to break this new commandment down into some pieces to take it very slowly, right? Love each other just as I have loved you. So first of all, his command is to love each other. Love. What is this, this, this thing about love? This love marks Jesus's whole ministry, marks Jesus's life. He's surrounded by love. He's bringing love everywhere it goes. So the followers of Jesus should also be marked by love. The calling card should be love to show that, we, that God is love, not just loving, but God is love. So his followers should be marked by love. So love whom do we love? Each other. Love each other. We might expect a new commandment. Jesus says new commandment to be about loving the Father. And Jesus taught a lot about loving the Father, and you should worship you know, God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is very important. But at this new commandment moment, Jesus chose a different direction, a different commandment about how to follow him, not just about how to, to love the Father, but how to follow Jesus. We do that by showing love to each other. Let's not get confused about what uh, Christian community love and love to the world, because we need to do both of those things. And at this time, Jesus is saying, love each other. How do we love them, uh, each other? How do we love each other? Just as I have loved you, just as Jesus has loved us. So Jesus is setting the standard for this love, because it can be challenging to love each other, because we are all people, <laughs> and people hurt people all the time. By accident, on purpose, it's really, really messy when people get together. So how do we love each other? Just like Jesus loved us. He set the standard. He's giving parameters because we hurt God. We hurt, we sin when we hurt, when we choose sin, when we choose separation from God, it hurts, it grieves the heart of God. And yet, while we were still sinners, he loved us. And that's what we do to each other. Even when we hurt each other, we love each other. And we have to be willing to sacrifice for each other because that's what Jesus did for us, right? Just as he loved us, he gave everything. So we have to be willing to sacrifice for each other. We should lay down our rights. We should lay down our expectations. We should lay down our preferences because that's what Jesus did. We lay down everything to love one another. There's a man named Charles Spurgeon. He's a famous preacher and writer from the 1800s. And he said this about loving one another in a Christ-centered community. He said, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? Difference between loving in our Christian community and loving our neighbor. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we are to love our fellow Christians as Christ loved us. And that is far more than we love ourselves. Now, I don't think that he's, what he's trying to say is we should really kind of love our neighbors and really love each other. That's not the point. But he's making a point about how strongly Jesus is talking about this. Love each other as much as I have loved you. Love each other the ways that I loved you. So this next verse gives us another perspective, though. This next verse is also important because all of this loving one another, it does something to a community. 
Our oneness is our witness. And when we love each other, like Christ loved us, we are becoming one. There's this phrase I heard in research called heart bound. We are binding our hearts together. We are heart bound. When we love each other, like Christ did, we're becoming one. We're being united in that love. That's where our bottom line comes in. Our oneness so that is how we create this oneness, but why do we have oneness? Why do we want oneness? Why does Jesus pray for oneness? Because our oneness is our witness. This following verse says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's why it's important that we love each other. That's why it's important that we're united. We are one because it shows that we serve a God who is love. Our oneness is our witness. It's our calling card to the world. It's what sets our community apart from the rest of the world and how the world will recognize us as followers of Jesus. So there was a Christian writer in the early church. His name was Tertullian. Would you say Tertullian? I mean, Spurgeon is kind of fun to say, but not as fun as Tertullian. And uh, Tertullian was a Christian writer, and he was writing about the way that people talked about the early church. He, he had his, his fence to the ear, right? And he knew how people talked about the early church. And they, he wrote about people talking about the church, saying, see how they love one another. And this is very, very old writing. <laughs> like thousands of years, a couple thousand year old writing. Tertullian recorded people saying about the church, see how they love one another. Which is exactly what Jesus wanted. Exactly what Jesus wanted the calling card for the early church to be loving one another. So, that being said, what if someone from your school was talking about Apex? What if someone from our community was talking about Apex? Would they talk about us like they talked about the early church? See how they love one another. Would they talk about us that way? When someone visits this room, a guest at Apex, what is our calling card? What do they walk away thinking about our community? What do they see in our community just from one visit? And it can be really tempting. Let me pause you in your thought process, um, especially if you're new to Apex. It can be really tempting to start thinking about other people here, to start thinking about how you were treated when you first came or about that person on the other side of the room that you have beef with. Uh, but let me encourage you to not do that. Let me encourage you to think about yourself. <clears throat> Consider yourself in this challenge. Challenge yourself in this. What are you doing to make Apex a place of love? What are you doing to make that difference? Because it's important that we love each other, that we are united in love because our oneness in this room is our witness to those outside this room. I love analyzing where the early church got it right. The early church is very interesting to me because Jesus came, right? He, he gets this group of followers and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, empowers them to make a difference and change the world. And then the church exploded. The church grew, right? We're talking about one man in a city, God man, right? It's not exactly one man. It's a little different. But this one city where the event happens where Jesus died and came back to life. And now this religion, 2,000 years later, is all over the world. 
And like we, I think it's interesting when we look at the church of America, but the church is exploding in Africa. I don't know if you guys know this. The church is exploding in Latin America, growing way faster than it is in here, which is super, super interesting to me. So, so how did this worldwide phenomenon start? So I love looking at the early church and how they got it right. So let's see what earned them the reputation of a community of love. Here are some things they did. In Acts 2, it talks about these things. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Four things mentioned here that we should not rush past. Look at them. They were devoted to four things. First, the apostles' teaching. So it sounds fancy, but it's, it's just faithful Bible study. Faithfully looking at the Old Testament and later in the early church, they were looking at the New Testament and we were looking at what, do, what does God want for us? They were looking at faithful Bible teaching, learning together how to follow Jesus. We're doing that right now. Also, fellowship, which is another churchy word, but it just means to be together. We are sharing in something. The Greek word here, if you don't know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. So this Acts, this written by a man named Luke, originally written in Greek. And the word that we say in English, fellowship, here is koinonia, is the name of that, of that, that's a Greek word. And koinonia is all about unity. It's a word that carries connotations of unity and sharing in community. I don't know how else to say that, but I think you know what that feels like when you share something together. When we share Apex together, this is our group, this is our thing to make a difference in the world, koinonia. This word koinonia also almost always includes food. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> the potlucks of the church of old, they are biblical, koinonia. And specifically in this case, they, they point out the Lord's Supper. And this is communion. What we talked about the last supper where Jesus said, right, as often as you take this bread and drink this cup, remember me. Remember the stuff that I've taught you. Remember what I'm about to do, which is die and then come back to life. That's what communion, they were doing communion. They were remembering Jesus together. And there's something so special. I don't know if you were at convention um, where we did a, a communion together. There's something so special about remembering together what Jesus did. It's, it's a together thing. You can do communion by yourself, and I think it's very powerful. But when you do communion with a group, there's something special that happens. That's why we do it at Harvest every month. We remember Jesus together, and it unites us together. Finally, they pray together. If you spent much time in Christian community, you've probably seen these things. You know the power of prayer. That's why we pray together after the, you know, at the end of every small group time. It unites us. Prayer, praying together, appealing to God together, makes us one. It brings us together. It just does. So all these things sound churchy. I, I want to break them down a little bit. Preaching, fellowship, communion, prayer. But underneath this churchy vocabulary, Christianese, as, if you will, um, there are bigger principles that are not that crazy, that, don't, that aren't, you know, just don't, don't just work in the church. So commitment to the same thing, this, this uh, apostles' teaching, devoted teaching. We're just committed to the same thing. We're committed to this, uh, to the, the, the God's word in our case, but commitment, reverence for a thing transcends church. Um, sharing life together, this fellowship koinonia idea, Sharing life together will unite anyone, not just a church group. Celebrating Jesus together. So celebrating something, remembering the beginnings together, that will unite any group, not just a church. Caring for and encouraging one another, in our case through prayer, will unite any group. These are principles that transcend church. They will unite anyone. We do them in Jesus' name, and they're even more powerful. So when you put it that way, it's no surprise that the early church was connected. 
The early church was, uh, they shared something. They were one because they did this thing. Did anyone watch the, um, the World Series? Nobody cares about baseball. That's fine. Let me tell you something about the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> the Atlanta Braves last night won the World Series. Woo, Atlanta. I don't really care about baseball either. But what's interesting is it's been over 20 years since the Atlanta Braves have won a World Series. It's been over 25 years. I'm sorry, 20 years since they've been in a World Series. 25 years since they've won. It was 1995 was the last time they won a World Series. So this team, over two decades, was united in their loss, united in their pain, united in their striving to win something. They were united by doing drills together, by running plays together, by getting screamed at by the coach together. Anyone ever been screamed at by a coach or a director or somebody in your past? Yes, me too. It brings people together. They were real people spending their lives together. They shared something. They had community. They were united. And the early church had a very similar experience. They were hated and mocked and laughed at together. They prioritized and celebrated the same things together. They sung the same songs. They did the same rituals. They were real people spending their lives together. They shared something. They created a community. They were united. And this example is for us at Apex, at Harvest, through serving together, we're united going on retreats together, we're united, making Apex happening, contributing to this group together. We're united. We are real people sharing our lives together. We share something. We have community. We are united. We become one. And our oneness is our witness. Our love for each other draws people to God, draws people to him. And that's the community that we're building here. That's our goal. That's why we do what we do here. When someone brings a friend, do, you, do we celebrate like a winning team? When somebody brings a friend to Apex, I think in many cases we have, do we see it as a win for the whole community? Do we personally, do you personally engage in that? Do you, when you see somebody who's never been here before, do you consider it your responsibility to show love to that person? and to show them that this is a place of love? Or do you leave it to chance or leave it to someone else that they'll experience that? Do you take that person personal responsibility? Because that's what God's calling us to do. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. When we are united, when we show love to one another, what does that communicate to a guest? It communicates that we serve a God who is love. It's our calling card. So this is what I want to encourage you to take seriously. Take this responsibility as your responsibility. Make it your own to show God's love to one another here, to make it our calling card so that other people will see that God is love because of the love in our community, because our oneness is our witness. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, your example. Jesus, thank you for these really clear words that we can see through our oneness, we get to be a witness to the world to show them that we serve a God of love. Through our love, uniting us, binding our hearts together, shows the world that we serve a God of love. Help us at Apex to be that community. Help us as a group to prioritize those things, to put programs and situations and adults over ways to make that happen. But I also pray that every single person in this room makes it a personal responsibility. They make, take it as their personal responsibility to make this a place of love, a community united by love. One, make us one, God. I, I echo the prayer of Jesus. Make us one so that 
people will see that you're a God of love so that people will see your love in our community because our oneness is our witness. We love you. We dedicate this to you and we need your help to make it happen. In your precious name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. 